As you're being seated, I turn your attention to the Word of God. You may want to, you may want to just listen as I present to you this morning one single verse. It's going to come from Paul's letter to the Galatian Christians. It's Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. For me, it's one of the most defining verses in the New Testament. It's one of the more significant verses in the New Testament in regards to the way that it points us to the goal of living a life here on this earth in Christ. So it comes from Galatians chapter 2. I'll begin reading at the 20th verse. Hear Paul's declaration that he's making here. And I pray that it truly can become our declaration. Galatians 2.20, Paul wrote, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My friends, this is the Word of God. Would you pray with me? God, we're here in this place this morning for many reasons. We want to come before you in submission and humility in this act of worship. We come before you, God, because we want to live faithful lives. We want to hear your call, your claim upon our lives, and we want to live in a way that brings glory to you and good to all your people. God, we pray that you will give us ears to hear what you're saying to us today. Contrary to what we want to hear or think we want to hear, help us to hear what you are saying to us today. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. This is the third Sunday in Epiphany, and as I've said several times, we Christians are so obsessed with Jesus Christ that we even keep a calendar according to Christ. So from, from Christmas, we move into Epiphany, the 12th day of Christmas. We move into Epiphany. We're in the season of Epiphany now. And during the season of Epiphany, we think about how Jesus Christ manifests himself in all creation. We wear stoles of green because green is a color of growth. And we remind ourselves how the work, the power, the presence, and the promises of Jesus Christ are to grow in this world and how they are to grow in us. The season of Epiphany is about the shining of the light of Jesus Christ. So we want to be those people through whom the light of Jesus Christ shines brilliantly. Remember the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. How is the light of Christ doing in you? Is it shining forth brilliantly in you? How do we live a life 
where the light of Christ progressively shines more and more and more brilliantly through us. Well, for most of us here in this room, what our nature will tell us is just try a little harder. Work a little harder. Be a little more focused. And those things are good things. They will not help grow the Christ light within us. Trying a little harder is usually not really an effective piece of advice to us. Some of you have long since January the 1st let go of your New Year's resolutions. So just trying a little harder to be more like Christ, just trying a little harder to allow the light of Christ to shine through you, how's that working for you? There's something in human nature that makes it very, very difficult for the light of Christ to shine through us. And this morning, I want to use this text from Galatians 2.20 to, to hear how the New Testament tells us we are to allow the life of Jesus Christ to grow in us. By nature, we want to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. By nature, we want to try harder. By nature, we want to show everyone else that we can try harder than they do. And it just doesn't work. There's something in human nature that prevents the growth of the Christ life and the Christ light within us. And we call that the human self, our old nature. The old man, the old woman that possessed us until we became a new creation in Christ. The Battle of Lake Erie was a naval battle that took place in the War of 1812, and Commander Oliver Perry uh, sent a message to William Henry Harrison and said, We have met the enemy, and they are ours. And we defeated the British Navy there on Lake Erie. We have met the enemy, and they are ours. Fast forward now about 160 years. It's in the early 1970s, and we had begun to wake up to the problem of pollution in our world, in our land. And it was Walt Kelly, the author of that comic strip, Pogo. Some of you are old enough to remember Pogo. It was that comic strip, Pogo, who tried to go after pollution and the problem of pollution. And that's when Walt Kelly parodied what Oliver Perry said back in the 1812 war with Great Britain. But instead of saying, we have met the enemy and they are ours, Pogo said, I've met the enemy and, and he is us. The self. The self is the biggest enemy that we face when it comes to growing the Christ life, Christ light within us. The greatest enemy that we face is that face that you face every morning in the mirror. And we know that even the enemy of our souls will use ourselves, that guarded part of us, ourselves, to do us harm and to draw us away from Jesus Christ. What is the self? The self is, is that part of us that is our essential being. It's who we are. It's what makes us tick. And our self, 
We become selfish. Our self is really important to us, and we will guard ourselves. We will protect ourselves. We will promote ourselves. You know, we've been through a revolution here since the 1960s, and one of the revolutions in our culture is how we view the self. Now, our foremothers and our forefathers used to tell us that the self was something to be to be molded, developed, educated, restrained, trained. Our self was something that was to be disciplined. That's the way we talked about the self for millennia. But now here in this culture, here in this era, all of a sudden there's been a major shift. Rather than the self being something that needs to be trained and developed and educated, something that needs to be restrained and trained, something that needs to be disciplined. All of a sudden in this culture, the self is something to be affirmed. We seek to find our authentic self. We want to display our authentic self. We want to follow our heart, follow our bliss, We want to find that which is deep within us and allow that to sort of control and run our lives. And that's a major shift in the way we see the self. In this culture, a culture that is awash with a passion for being your authentic self, we will sometimes elect politicians to office who have done horrible things who have acted in horrible ways because we just excuse it by saying, well, they are showing us his or her authentic self. Our forefathers and foremothers would not have thought much of us displaying our authentic selves to the world around us. Throughout Christian tradition, the self has something is something to be defeated. As a matter of fact, you heard what Paul said, the self is something to be crucified something to kill so that the new can live. This is a radical shift in the way we view ourselves. The world around us tells us to figure out who we are and then just display it to the world. Be your authentic self. Follow your heart. Follow your bliss. And then here comes Jesus, who very clearly said, but human nature makes it hard for us to hear, Jesus said very clearly, it's in every gospel, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, themselves, and take up their cross. That instrument of crucifixion, execution, take up their cross and follow me. For millennia, the self has been something, at least within the Christian faith, to deny, to restrain and train, to make new in Jesus Christ. Our ancestors would look deep within themselves and find the sin of human nature. And somehow we look deep within ourselves and we think we find the answers to all of the human predicament. That is a major shift in the way we view ourselves. Jesus Jesus almost cannot be heard in our culture because he says, if any want to become my followers, let them deny their selves. So it's something to deny, not something to nurture. 
In the New Testament, we learn in so many different ways that as Christians, we invite Jesus Christ into our lives. We invite Jesus Christ into our lives to be enthroned in our lives, to take over our hearts, to take over ourselves and make us new creatures in Jesus Christ. We invite Jesus into our lives, and then we, we seek to allow Jesus to change, transform, mold, make, train, restrain more and more and more of our lives. That's how the Christ life, that's how the Christ light shines through us. We can't just try harder. When we just try harder, that, that strokes our ego. That strokes ourself. The Apostle Paul in Colossians 1.27 said that your hope of glory is Christ in you. Your hope of glory is Christ in you. Christ in you is your hope of glory. That's a great promise. That's a great declaration. You heard the Apostle Paul in these defining words when he said, I have been crucified with Christ. Some of you have not gone through that funeral yet where you crucify self and you tell self that you want self to be overcome. You want to do away with selfishness by doing away with self. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. No longer I, but Christ. That's the Christian way of growing the life of Christ within. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 2 tells us that we can even have the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ in us can begin to rule that old, carnal, natural mind that just promotes, promotes itself. The only way the self, selfishness, can be defeated is letting Christ grow in us. We've been talking about the lies we believe. During the month of January, I just want to address three particular lies that we believe and, and try to illustrate how these lies that we believe prevents the life of Christ from growing in us. I mentioned them a couple of weeks ago. I'll say a little more about them today. One of those lies that we believe, particularly in this culture, is that my worth, my worth, my value is all about what I can do, what I can perform, what I can accomplish. And our life tells us that in so many different ways. We are, we are just worthy because of, what we, because of what we do. That's a lie. That's a lie. It is from the pit of hell and smells like smoke. But this culture has bought into it. We are what we do. We're a human, a human doing rather than a, rather than a human being. And we just become what we do in life. That's why some people have a really hard time with retirement. Because all of a sudden they're not doing those things that gave them their identity. We're not just valuable because of what we do, what we accomplish, what we perform. Our worth, and we know this, our worth is not determined by what we do. Our worth is determined by what he says and what he has done. He has made us in the image of Christ. He has remade us in the image of Christ. He's made us in his very own image, the image of God. 
That's who we are. That's where our value comes from. You are worthy and you are valuable just because you are. Not because of what you do or accomplish or perform or contribute to this society. That's why in this culture it's so easy for people to think about themselves or think about another human being as just being a burden on others. It's never a burden to care for someone created in the image of God. It's never a burden to care for someone who's been recreated in Jesus Christ. That's why in this culture, if you don't perform, if you don't act, if you don't do, if you don't accomplish, this society doesn't think you're valuable anymore. That's why I always get nervous and this has been typical of the Christian tradition, I always get nervous when I hear anyone talk about quality of life. Because whose quality are you talking about? Who gets to define quality of life? It's this modern culture that thinks it's the quality of life that makes life worth living, and therefore when you cannot produce or do or perform or contribute, then you have no quality of life. We in the Christian community, we're the only ones, and we're not doing it much anymore, we're the only ones that say human life is valuable just because it exists. It's not about what you accomplish. And that's why in this culture people get to the point when they can't accomplish as much as they used to, and they start feeling that their value is drifting away. And sometimes our whole culture just gives into that, and they believe that lie. You will never look into the eyes of someone for whom Jesus Christ did not die. You will never look into the eyes of someone not made in the image of God. So what makes them worthy? It's not what they accomplish or might accomplish or have accomplished. But God has made them worthy. So that's a lie. We need to repent of that lie. We need to reprogram our brains and think differently. Another lie, and it's, it's said in many different ways, I must have everyone's love and approval. My main task in life is to make everyone happy. I must please everyone. Well, again, how's that working for you? You know, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God, that healthy fear of God, knowing who God is, knowing who we are, that healthy fear of God cancels out all other fears in human life. But we diminish the fear of God, and we start fearing what people think about us. We start fearing whether or not we're meeting their expectations. We start fearing that we're not pleasing everyone. If you do anything for Jesus Christ in this world, you will make some enemies. When Jesus Christ said, love your enemy, he assumed you would have one or more. So we need to live in such a way that our focus is not on pleasing them, but our focus is on pleasing him. Now, I'm, I'm the first to admit, those days where I can please God and please everyone in my life, those are good days. But it doesn't happen often. Sometimes we're called to please God by displeasing what some other people in our life want. So if you're trying to please everyone, be a people pleaser, as the Bible calls us, showing a 
partiality to men or women. We need to just get over that and let our focus be on God, our focus be on pleasing God. If Christ in you is given rule and reign in your life, it will become far easier to want to please God more than you please the people around you. One last lie, and I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, and it is a lie, but a lot of us believe this lie. It is a lie that I can say this way. People who hurt me, people who hurt me must somehow earn or deserve or desire my forgiveness. People who hurt me must somehow earn or deserve or desire my forgiveness in order for me to do the hard work of forgiving. And that's a lie. Jesus taught us that in a dramatic way. When Jesus was on the cross and he looked at those Jewish religious leaders and he looked at those Roman soldiers and he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I think Jesus would have even said, because we know Jesus pretty well, Jesus could have even said, Father, forgive them even if they know exactly what they're doing. He still would have forgiven our ability, our desire to forgive another person is not dependent upon them wanting it or earning it or deserving it or desiring it. It's dependent upon Jesus Christ living within us. No longer I, but Christ. Jesus Christ living within us that will help us do the hard work of forgiveness. A couple weeks ago, when Tammy and I were in Rwanda, we we went to the Genocide Museum, and that was an impactful moment for me. I'm still repenting of the fact that in 1994, I didn't hardly even notice that the genocide was going on in Rwanda. A million people got killed by their neighbors. But one of the other things that impacted me being there in Rwanda, learning in the Genocide Museum, is when, when that one type of tribal people went after the other type of tribal, tribal people and a million people got killed, that's ended now. But what you have now, you have Hutis and Tutsis sitting in church beside each other. And you may be seated beside someone who slaughtered your husband or your wife. And they've done the work of forgiveness. It was interesting to me to be in a culture where the work of forgiveness was so prevalent. They knew that people around... I traveled in the culture, and I'll admit to you, I confess, every time I looked at someone, I, I wondered which side they were on during the genocide. When I looked at someone, I wondered how they participated in the genocide. It just took place in 1994. But they're living together. It's not a shock to me that Rwanda <clears throat> has experienced massive Christian revival in recent years. They had to, to survive and to do the work of forgiveness. Now, forgiveness, as I've said many times, is not excusing someone's behavior. Forgiveness might be dependent upon you declaring what they did to you was evil. Forgiveness is not pardoning their behavior, excusing their behavior. Forgiveness is not, is not, Somehow um, saying that what they did was not evil. Forgiveness is, is not somehow deciding to reconcile with them. Forgiveness is just simply letting them off the hook. And this is about the only time I can get close to using the word selfish 
in a somewhat good sense. I'm trying to figure out another way to say this. But when we do the work of forgiving, when you do the work of forgiving, you will learn that a prisoner has been set free and you were that prisoner. When we forgive others, we are, we're really doing something for ourselves. That person that I'm forgiving may not know I forgave him or her. They may not deserve it, desire it, or earn it. But I forgive. I'm letting them go. I'm letting them off the hook. What I'm saying is, what you did to me, you did to me. And I may have to live with the consequences. I can't redo history. But what you did to me 20 years ago, I'm not going to let that control the rest of my life. And I let them off the hook. So forgiveness is not dependent upon the person needing the forgiveness from us, earning it, deserving it, desiring it. The only way we can do the hard work of forgiveness is the Christ within us. Hebrews 12, 15 talks about the root of bitterness. And it says that root of bitterness that will grow up within us can cause us to miss the grace of God. That root of bitterness that grows up within us will defile us and defile all the people around us. So we need to be careful about that root of bitterness. So a good verse to look at and memorize, Hebrews 12, 15. Don't nurture the root of bitterness, but allow the grace of God, the love of God, the work of Christ within to uproot that root of bitterness. Because if you let it grow, it can take over your life and defile the people in your life. So our job as Christ followers as people who have invited Christ into our lives, is to not hinder the work of Jesus Christ in us. Give him freedom. Give him full reign and rule in our lives. We need to not let ourselves destroy the work of Christ in us.